are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Guess what? We're here in our second to last sermon, and Paul, he continues on with a particular theme that we visited a couple weeks ago, the battle between flesh and... Excellent, spirit. Back in chapter 5, Paul, he described the relationship between flesh and spirit as a wonderful, amicable relationship? No, as what? As a battle, as conflict, as warfare. They certainly are. The metaphor was just battle. They're fighting against each other. They're, they're raging war. They're waging war against each other. Now, Paul, he's talking about spirit and flesh too, but he's changing his language to a different metaphor, not battle, not warfare, not conflict, but to the language of farming. Farming. Sowing and reaping, reaping and sowing. The reality is that this is an issue that we all deal with, this whole spirit and flesh. And let's be honest, if you're to, you probably wouldn't want to keep score on who's winning, right? Spirit and flesh. Now, we all want to be more like Jesus, amen? amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I want to be more like Jesus. If you're a believer, if you're a believer in Christ, you have been justified by Christ, that means you have been made right before God. God's holy, perfect standard. He says, you know what? I don't see sinner. I don't see someone who needs to make up for wrong. I see someone who's already been made up. You are, I see my son in you. You've been made right. You have been made holy and acceptable before me. So if you're a believer, you've been justified. You've been made right before God. So now what's going on in your personal walk, in your life right now, if you're whether 18, 19, 20, or 30, or 40, or 50, or 60, is that right now you're on a path of sanctification. In other words, the more sanctified you are, the more desiring of God's holiness you have. The more you want to be more like Christ, the more you want to pursue the things of God, and not only that, the more that you are willing to acknowledge the wretchedness of your own heart and your need for the Holy Spirit to lead you. The more mature you're growing in your faith, in your path of sanctification, the more every single day is not going to be, I'm fine, but more of God, I need you. You get that? That's how you know you're being sanctified. When there's a greater desperation, a greater longing, a greater yearning of recognition of, I am a sinner, I have failed, and I am failing, and God, I need you to lead me. Can you recall those seasons in your life when you were distant from God? Maybe for some of you guys, it's right now. You stopped doing quiet time. You stopped your prayer time. You stopped communicating with your church people, with your life group leaders, with your life group members. And so when you do all that, when you remove yourself and you isolate yourself from the Word of God, when you remove yourself from prayer, when you remove yourself from life group, when you remove yourself from the Word of God being preached on Sunday, what happens to your spiritual life? This is what happens. There is no longer a deepening conviction of your sins. You soon realize how naturally and how easily you fall into sin, whereas before, when you were in God's word, when you were in prayer, when you were in accountability with your church members, anytime there's temptation there, you at least wrestled with it. You at least toiled with it. You at least said, uh, I don't want this. Yes, sometimes you give in. Sometimes you fall. Sometimes you stumble. But at, at least you wrestle with it. You go, I don't want this. But now what happens if you completely remove yourself from the word of God, from prayer, from accountability, from life group, from church, from the, from the preaching? What happens? 
You know what comes up in your mind? You know what you think of at those moments of weakness? You think of, you know, I know I shouldn't. I know it's bad, but I don't, I don't care anymore. Do you know what we're saying every time we give into the flesh? We're saying this. I have the right to be happy. You see how self-centered that is? I I, I have the right to pursue and do whatever it is that, that, that gives me this gratification because now I realize it's not about God, but it's about me. I have the right to be happy. That statement perfectly sums up really the mind and the heart of the flesh that no matter what the cost, I have the right to my happiness. I don't care about what God thinks. I don't care what my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ think. I don't care what the church thinks. I don't care what the scripture says. I don't care what the Holy Spirit is leading me and prompting me and urging me to do. No, it's about what I feel. But the Spirit of God is different because the nature of the Spirit is vastly different from from the flesh. The flesh says, I want to make myself happy. The Spirit is concerned with only one thing, and that is the glory of God. There's only one thing on the mind of the Holy Spirit. It ain't you. It ain't me. It's not how the world turns. No, he's got only one thing in his mind, and that is how can I promote God? How can I give glory to God? Look, when Christ saved you, you weren't saved to live for yourself. Salvation wasn't for your purposes, for your glory. We were saved to glorify God. Turn to your neighbor and say, I was saved to glorify God. You are saved to display the greatness of God's love and grace. We are saved for God's purposes, not ours. That's why Apostle Paul, he's addressing this, and he, address, and he will address it again and again and again because this whole flesh and spirit deal, it's a very real struggle. But we need to know that those who are in Christ Fear not, you're not living in the flesh, for you're living in the spirit. Those of you who are in Christ, you are in the spirit. Turn to neighbor and say, in Christ, you are living in the spirit. So this goes to my first point. One is, and the first point is this. Don't gratify the cravings of your flesh. Yeah, you can, okay, go ahead, yeah. Go ahead, turn to neighbor and say, don't gratify the, fle- the cravings of your flesh. <laughs> Now, this verse comes from verse 8, where it says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Meaning, don't sow to please your sinful nature. Okay, so hear me out now. God, our God, who is the creator, made us with many natural desires. We have desire for food, comfort, warmth, sexual intimacy, purpose, significance, whatever you want to call it, so on and so forth. And these are normal. These are good. This is natural. These are God-given desires. But then sin entered the picture, and things went all upside down. So instead of being focused on knowing and enjoying our creator God, we become separated, alienated from him. And so all the things that God made became more important than the creator God himself. So rather than our desires driving us towards God's purposes, rather than the things that God has made that were originally and naturally and wonderfully intended to drive us to know him more and know the one who made it for us, these desires, they become an end in themselves, driving us towards self-gratification, whatever makes me happy, 
rather than whatever makes God happy. So like we saw in chapter 5, we can't do just whatever we please because our desires will lead us away and lead us astray. These desires of ours are no longer just natural desires that God has given us, but these desires, because of where they come from, our flesh, this world, the sin, they become desires on steroids. These desires are amped up by our sins, amped up by our flesh and the world. These desires are no longer coming from a place of purity, but from a place of perversion. God gave us a desire for comfort and security. Now let's take God, let's take God out of the picture and what happens. Our desire for security no longer becomes trusting in God's provision. It no longer becomes trusting in God's power. It no longer becomes trusting in God's sovereignty. Instead, it now becomes about us trying to control our life. It becomes about us trying to control our circumstances. It even becomes about us trying to manipulate people so that we can control it and control the outcome. God gave us desire for sexual intimacy. It was his gift to the marriage relationship. But take God out of the picture. Take his purposes out. And what do you get? Sexual intimacy becomes a God of its own. And we want immediate gratification. So we plug into apps like Tinder. Do you all know what I'm, am I being ambiguous here? Do you guys know what that is? Okay, I'm not saying, if you say yes, I'm not saying you're admitting that you use it. Okay. These apps like Tinder, where, where the primary objective is just to hook up with people. We hit up clubs and bars for one-night stands. In fact, churches were once a place where you'd want to come and meet God. But now churches have become a Christian meat market. <laughs> right? I hear people leaving church not because the church itself is bad, but simply because there's not a good selection of people to date. Hmm. Look, I want, I want to give you all a warning here. Leave if I preach anything but the gospel. But don't leave just because there's a bad girl-to-guy ratio. Which, let me say this, by the way, ever since I became the EM pastor, back then, we had almost like a three-to-one um, girl-to-guy ratio. The women hated it. The men loved it. But I want you to know how much I've been praying for men to come and to rise up as champions of faith. Ladies, amen. amen. And right now, right now, we have like a one and a half to one ratio, guys to girls. Ladies, sing hallelujah. hallelujah. <laughs> I'm not, you, you, you don't have to thank me. All I'm saying is I've been praying hard and I'm continuing to pray hard for everyone to have their choice. All right, anyways. <laughs> Those of you who have green thumbs, you know what, you know what takes to you know, grow a plant? You have to spend time with it. You have to water it. You have to give it plant food. You have to expose it to sunlight. It's no different when it comes to our problems with gratifying our flesh. And what is that? The problem is that we spend too much time with it. When we tend to have a lot of idle time, we usually fill it with sin. We need to stop nurturing. We need to stop watering. Stop feeding our temptations. This means every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge or nurse a grievance or entertain a lustful thought or even wallow in self-pity, guess what we're doing? We're sowing into the flesh. Stop doing that. 
Every time we linger in bad company, every time we lie in bed knowing that we should be maybe reading the Bible or doing something productive or even going to sleep, but instead, what do we do? We look up something inappropriate perhaps. Every time we refuse to hold back our anger and we just allow it to grow faster in within our minds and hearts. You know what we're doing every time we do stuff like that? We're allowing it to sow and sow and sow into the flesh. We're giving it a chance to grow. We're nurturing it. We're watering it. You see, those God-given desires have become monsters within us. God has given us something good, and yet we made it dirty. So now you're probably thinking, okay, what's the solution then, Pastor David? If I'm addicted to pornography, do I go and destroy my computer? If I get easily irritated with people, do I become a monk and remove myself from society? I get it. My desires were once good. Now they're bad. So what do I do now? And that leads me to my second point. We must pursue the work of the Holy Spirit. So let me be upfront about this. Paul said there's this battle, there's this war. But I want to tell you right now, you can't win this war. It's not even, in fact, it's not even about the war. If you only focus on the war between the flesh and spirit, it's like you're dealing with the flesh and you're dealing with the spirit. Then one day you're dealing with the flesh and the spirit. It's like playing chess against yourself. And unless you're crazy, you can't really do that. So it's not about the war, then what is it about? Here it is. It's about the victory. It's about the victory in the spirit. And let me explain that, okay? Overcoming the flesh isn't about ignoring your temptations. That's not what I'm saying. No, you, you need to be wise about that. Like I said, don't put yourself in compromising places or situations where you'll do or think anything that will lead to sin. Remove yourself from bad company, from the bar if you're prone to drunkenness. Remove yourself from certain friends if they bring out the bad in you. Be discerning. Be wise with your situations. Be wise with the people that, with who you surround yourself with. But to overcome your flesh, it's about this. It's not about just knuckling up and trying to fight and beat down and battle against the flesh and things like that. No. To overcome your flesh, it's about diving headfirst into the rejuvenating waters of the Holy Spirit. It's about immersing yourselves in the work of the Spirit so that you'll overcome these issues of flesh. Why do you do that? When you immerse yourself in the work of God, however way that looks in your life, then you will be so overcome by the Holy Spirit that the seeds of sins, desires that are in you will not have the opportunity to germinate and grow to maturity. Do you get that? When you're too busy watering the Spirit of God in you and the work that the Lord has placed in your life, then your affection for the flesh will slowly and surely dissipate. To the men, as you grow more and more in love with your wife, the less in love you'll be with everyone else, and vice versa. The more you immerse yourself into things, whatever your passions are, the more you'll find interest in that rather than anything else. It's no different. One of the reasons why we have such a hard time battling with our flesh is because we're allowing it to remain in our lives, because we're not immersing ourselves in the works of God. We're not putting ourselves out there in terms of evangelism. We're not putting ourselves out there in terms of pouring out over Scripture, pouring into Scripture. We're not, we're not, we're not giving our spirit a chance. But we keep giving chance after chance 
to the sins in our life. In this case, in verse 6, we see that kind of pursuit. Now, Jesus' first extensive parable was on the sowing of the seed in terms of harvest. And the main, main harvesting was to create Christians, new disciples, right? But here the focus on the reaping and sowing was a different kind of harvest. This is a harvest for the benefit of those who sow the word, the ones who say the gospel, the ones who preach the gospel, the ones who teach the gospel, meaning those who hear the word are called to support every aspect of where the word is being preached or taught through their financial means. Now, I know, you're probably thinking, where in the world did that come from, Pastor David? How did you get flesh and spirit and all of a sudden make it connect with my wallet? Now, the actual interpretation of this verse is this. The Jews were taxed for the support of their priests. The Gentiles, they had to pay fees or they made vows to sustain their religions, much in the same way. The warning here is that the teacher shares the good things, meaning the word of God, the gospel of the word of God, and a believer must reciprocate by sharing all good things with the instructor or, as it says, the one who teaches. Now, beyond the primary application of are you making sure that you are doing what you have to do in terms of offering and tithing, we can also stretch the application to are you being financially responsible in terms of helping one another out? Are you assisting each other in terms of your life group missionary support? Are you participating in providing funds for your life group food rotation? Don't think about the amount. Don't think, well, Pastor David, I know I got someone sitting next to me who makes six figures and I'm barely making 30 or even 25 grand and now you're expecting me to give out and shell out and do all the stuff that other life groups are, are so just easily able to do. I'm not talking about the amount, but I'm saying do what you can. Do what you can. And I know this is a touchy subject and quite honestly, I don't care because God is saying this is not for the purpose of just feeding me. Stop feeding me. I'm getting fat. That's not what we're talking about. He's saying this, making sure that you're aware of what the most important investments are in your life, and that is the body of Christ. That is the most important investment in your life. Where's your money going to? Is it to helping out one another? Is it to making sure that those 65 missionary plus missionaries that we sponsor are being able to preach and teach the word of God into the four corners of the world? What are we doing? Like we heard from last week's sermon, we want what the Spirit produces in us, his fruit. That means love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if those are things the Spirit is doing, then those are things that we are to cultivate within ourselves. Those are things we need to give ourselves to because we have to pursue the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you want to know how God has practically made his means of grace available to us? And by the way, when I say means, I'm not saying that if you do this, that God, he favors you and he loves you. I'm talking about normal ways in which we grow to maturity in Christ. They are this, reading and hearing the word of God, prayer, worship, and the Lord's Supper. So if that's how God works through his spirit, then it means we should pay special attention to those things and make them our life's priorities. Brothers and sisters, is the body of Christ a priority in your life? 
Is the person sitting next to you a priority in your life? Is taking time every single day to open up the word of God and hear the actual truth, truth that cannot be found in any part of this world, but the truth of God, are you willing to take time and say, this is my priority? Are you willing to take time and pray? I don't care if you're stuck in traffic, take a few seconds with your eyes open and pray to the Lord. Pray to the person popped into your mind. I know that sister, she's struggling. I know that brother, he's struggling. Do you take time to pray for one another? But how are we financially pouring into these means? Are we supporting the church to ensure that these basic tenets of our faith are being made available? Are we, or, are, how about this, are we pouring into church or are we pouring into the next party? Because this is what Paul, so Paul is dressing. He's not talking about, oh no, you can't, you can't eat some good food later on. He's, not talk, he's talking about people who do the complete opposite. Are you pouring into church or are you pouring to the next party, the next high, the next sexual gratification, the next step to being rich and famous? I don't, wanna, I don't like embarrassing people, and I'm not going to embarrass them, I'm not going to say their name, but I know a family here who's, been, who's specifically remodeling their home to better accommodate their life group and the people of their church. Now think about that for a second. Anyone who's ever seen HGTV or you have the House app website thing involved and you see all the amazing things you want to do and for the purposes of self-centered purposes of I wish I could do this. No, this family is saying, I need to make this a little bit more open for our life groups when we meet. And therefore, I'm going to remodel this. I know in the past of single youth volunteers, meaning bachelor, bachelorette volunteers, who kept their old beat-up wagon or their vans instead of buying, and they were completely capable of buying a brand-new sports car that young people love to buy, but they kept their old van because they knew that they were called to serve youth kids with rides. Can you believe that? Because they know they can't really fit kids in their two-door coupe, legally at least. I know people who give up their weekly um, indulgence to movies or to dessert or to shopping or whatever you want to call it so that they have a few extra dollars to pitch in to their life group food rotation because no one else does it. Like, what are you investing in? What are you sowing in? Are you sowing into the future of this ministry and the lives of the people next to you? Or are you simply sowing into your personal indulgences where the only thing you'll reap is personal and momentary gratification, which oftentimes, in this context, leads to sin? My last point is this. We should never give up on the harvest. Instant gratification is almost synonymous with human culture, particularly the American culture. I'm in that weird, what's my, what's my generation called? I forget, whatever. I'm in that weird generation where I lived half of my life without the existence of the internet and smartphone. Some of you guys can, many of you guys can actually remember that, right? And so I reflect upon those lost and yet beautiful days of peace and joy. It was great not having my phone just go off all the time. But now our children, in a generation, they're growing up only with the knowledge of what we have currently in our technology. So if you gave any kids a dial-up modem to get online, I think you would see a lot of meltdowns and a lot of broken monitors. I remember back in the day, we had AOL. Everyone had AOL. You got the CD from the mail, right? 
I remember using dial-up when I was little. I had no problem. The fact that there was something called the internet was cool enough. And I knew I had to wait, but no problem. But now, if my internet buffers for even one second, I start yelling at my screen, and I start yelling at Jesse to fix it. <laughs> Poor Jesse, right? Yeah, make sure you guys love him. Back then, we could read a recipe from something called a cookbook. But now we have something called Tasty on YouTube where it gives us quick images of ingredients and how to best make a meal using the least amount of ingredients in the least amount of time. It's like homemade fast food. Now, don't get me wrong. Those are some amazing dishes. But we're all about the instant. Or what about Blue Apron? Have you guys heard of that? It's where they just mail you the ingredient for whatever meal that you ordered. No more waiting in line at the grocery store. No more, and this is the best part, no more having to put on pants and interact with people to get sustenance. You just order it, and the food comes to you, and you just make it. It's great. Instant food, instant pictures to share, instant communication. Don't you get mad when you've been texting with someone, and there's a rhythm to the giving and receiving of texts? But all of a sudden, after you text, there's a, and you see that the message was delivered, if not even read, but there's no response on their part. Now, you just want to be mature and calm and say, I'll just, I have a life to live. I'll just continue on to the next thing in my life, but... You just can't help and you keep looking down at your phone. And as you do, you slowly get angrier and angrier and angrier as to why this person isn't responding. What did I do? What did she do? What did he do? What's going on? And finally, when they do respond, you've already thought of a million reasons why they did what they did and how they no longer hold any significance in your life. We want things now. Want it now. And sadly, this culture of instant gratification, it trickles into our understanding of Jesus. That his role is to make us happy, healthy, sinless, and mature. Overnight, we think that the moment that we come to conversion, we say, Jesus, I give you my life, and you are my Savior, my Lord, and we think the next day that we'll be, we'll be dissecting Scripture, and all of a sudden God will give us photographic memory to memorize Genesis, Revelation, and that we're going out to evangelize and all these things almost instantly. And we think that all the sins that we've been dealing with, all the issues that we've had, will magically just disappear. And that our parents who were faithless and who weren't Christians will all of a sudden say, hey, you're changed, I want to change too. We keep thinking that. But the reality of our growth in Christ is actually quite different. If you could sum up all the experiences of every Christian who has ever lived, you'd probably get a lot of note and commentary on being tired and burnt out or falling into temptation. Oh, how easy it is to fall into temptation. Or man, people are cruel, or maybe I'm cruel. Hypocrisy. Or I've been having so many needs and, and I'm overwhelmed. Or I realize, man, I'm not strong. Or how about, you know, no matter how much I go to him, nothing seems to happen. Or maybe God seems to have forgotten his promises. Or maybe for some of us who serve a lot, for those of you who grew up in the church and you've seen kind of the, the, the brokenness of relationships and ministry, you, see, you say, you know, I'm going to cut my losses and just call it quits. I'm done with this whole church thing. You pour and you pour and you sow and you sow. Look, I know it's easy to become discouraged with spiritual sowing because it always seems like the result or that 
or the product of the harvest is often long in coming. Pouring into people's lives seems like it's only met with hostility and eventual abandonment. Pouring into short-term mission seems like it's more of a getaway than making any real changes in the lives of people that we encounter on the field. Maybe, maybe on, the, on, on Facebook you see all your friends who are doing things you wish you could be doing. They're traveling. They're having adventures. They're sleeping in on Saturdays and on Sundays. They're going out to eat to amazing restaurants. And they just seem to have a normal social life. And here you are every Saturday Sunday, if not Wednesday and Tuesday and Friday and Thursday, whatever day that you're called to serve, you're serving and you're giving and you're pouring your energy and time into the youth kids, into the children's ministry, into the English ministry, into the Korean ministry. You're just going forth and pouring out and you're waiting for something to happen. You're waiting for something to change, something to spark. You're waiting for harvest. You're waiting for even change even in your life. And the Lord says, don't be discouraged because of this verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap. Do you know what that means? He says no matter how hard it is in your life, no matter how much you're pouring into people, no matter how much you've been investing in the lives and in the community of this church and in the things and the program and the mission and in the vision and mission of our church, no matter how much you're doing this, don't quit, he says, because the harvest is coming. It is guaranteed, he says. It is a sure thing. The reaping will come at God's proper and perfect time. Either in this life or in the life to come at the judgment seat of Christ, brothers and sisters, don't ever, ever, no matter what obstacles you face, no matter how tired you are, don't ever stop doing the work of the Holy Spirit. Don't ever stop investing in the lives of people and never give up on the harvest because God Though you may be weak, he knows what he's doing. He's in control. And he will give you the strength. He will empower you. And he will give you all that you need to persevere, brothers and sisters. So what are we called to do? Don't gratify the cravings of our flesh. And instead, immerse yourself in the work of the Spirit. Don't focus on the battle, but focus on the victory that you have in Christ Jesus. And lastly, no matter how bleak your situation may seem, don't give up for the harvest is certain. It is certain. The Lord, he will answer and he will heap his grace upon you or either you will reap what you have sown in this life or in the life hereafter. No matter what happens in your life, brothers and sisters, know this. The grace of God is with you. The mercy of God is with you. Because when you work for his Holy Spirit, this isn't your endeavor. This is God's. It's not your plan. It's God's plan. And when God has a plan, he will accomplish it. It is just a privilege and pleasure and honor for us to be a part of that plan. Amen? Don't give up. The harvest is coming. Let's pray. I know there are a lot of thoughts you may have had from the several points you may have heard. And I think we know the sins that we have that we just spend way too much time on or we give it too much time. We give it too much of an opportunity to grow in us. 
It's not that you just stomp it. You can't just stomp it. No. We're told by Apostle Paul here that to defeat it, you must pour in to the things of God. You, you must pour in and immerse yourself in the work of the Spirit. But not only that, where are you investing? Are you investing in, in what and who really counts? Or are you simply investing in things that will eventually lead you astray and hurt you spiritually? And lastly, Do not be discouraged, my beloved, wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ, many of whom I've been working alongside with and striving alongside with, from, with since day one. Don't quit. Don't stop. It may seem like a lost cause. You may see people turn away, walk away, abandon but it's not about what we think should or ought to be the result. It's about your obedience to God. God will produce the result in his time. He will make his mark in your life in due time. That's not up to you. It's hard, I know, but you just be faithful. It's difficult, I know, but you be obedient. And just rest in his presence and trust in him. Let's take just a minute or two and whatever you feel that the Holy Spirit is saying to you as you hear his voice, would you respond to him in prayer? Would you respond to him through submission? Let's pray. Let's pray.